Welcome to our local author series and very pleased to have Stephen Dorsey with me today. Stephen is the author of, and I have to read it because it's a long title, Black and White, an Intimate Multicultural Perspective on White Advantage and the Paths to Change. I read the book a few months ago and spoke to Stephen and was lucky to get him uh, available for this interview. Stephen, that's a long title. <laughs> I have lots to say. <laughs> well, well, for people uh, who haven't read the book, before we get into it, why don't you just give us a little portrait of what it's all about? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, first, first of all, uh, great to be with you again. Uh, yeah, so, so I wrote the book, really, uh, I had my own kind of awakening around the global reckoning on race that was triggered by uh, the murder of George Floyd. And one thing led to another. I've been writing for a long time and, and, uh, and uh, commenting on civics and politics and all that. And so, uh, and then I, as you know, I have this that I note in this book, I have a crazy story about my own personal experience with individual and systemic racism. So the book really, uh, I tried to do like a hybrid, if you will. So part of it was, uh, I wanted to write a book that was a, a perspective, really a, uh, for, for white people, for lack of a better word. It was like, what is systemic racism? What does it look like? How does it actually, uh, if you're not aware of it, what does it look like? Where is it? And what should we do about it? And I also went back into history to try to share an understanding and bridge divides of understanding of what the dis discrimination and disadvantages that people of color, black people and indigenous people have been experiencing for centuries in Canada and the United States and bring them to today. And then I wanted to bring the audience in with some emotion as well. And so I shared some very personal stories of my own experience growing up in the South shore of Montreal and Longueuil. Uh, and some of the things that happened to me and my brother as we grew up and experienced being, you know, essentially uh, black kids, even though I'm half white and half black, being a, a little black kid growing up in a predominantly all white society and what that was like. It was a fascinating read. And, uh, you know, it was one of those I couldn't put down because it was like, is this real? I mean, uh, what's going to happen next to him? How is he going to bounce back from this? And uh, resilience. It's just got a little bit of everything in it. Uh, but uh, when you say it's a biracial man in Longay, you had a racist stepfather. I mean, that's the first shocking thing we learn. Yes. Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, now, you know, my book's been out since February. So I've, I'm receiving a lot of emails and messages through social media about people going, oh, my God, like, that's unbelievable. And so just to tell your audience. So uh, when I was three years old, my mother, who's a little white French Canadian lady, had met her uh, this man from Belgium, a white man. And he took in my brother and I, who's a year older than me, and actually an older brother who from my mom's previous marriage, who's a white guy, white guy. And we all moved into this, you know, uh, bungalow in the new suburbs of Longueuil. And, and uh, it just turns out that my stepfather from Belgium turned out to be a racist. So there's a lot of stories that I share in the book about what it's like to, you know, um, be in a home where, you know, you have, you're supposed to have love and all of that stuff. And at the same time, uh, for the lack of a better word, your oppressor is living with you and in charge of your home life. You were made to believe you and your brother early on in your life that you were adopted. And uh, that's a crazy story. Well, yeah. So, so when we moved in, you know, I tell the story in the book, the day that we moved in there, my mom was 
dispatched by her husband to the neighbors to tell the story that they wanted you know, people to know why was these two little black kids living with this white family. And uh, essentially the story that my mom told them was that, you know, uh, they wanted to do something good and they adopted these two little black kids from the orphanage. So that's the story that the neighbors knew. That's the story. I never saw any photos of me as a little baby or anything like that. So my brother and I just assumed that was the story. And so that's how we lived. And it wasn't until I was 10 years old in 1976, during the year of the uh, Montreal Olympics, that we were sitting around dinner table uh, with my mom and my little sister and my brother, Chris. My stepfather wasn't there. My mom just said, you're actually my real children. <laughs> and that opened up a whole Pandora's box of questions, which lasted, you know, I think a day. And then after that, we uh, were never to speak of it again. I mean, just from these stories alone, and there's more to cover, you had a book right away at the age of 10, yet it took you decades to write a book. So how long was it percolating in your head? Maybe one day I'll write a book about this. Maybe I'll tell well, you. For, for, you know, forever, really. Um, you know, you can imagine as I got, went from being, a, and there, you know, I don't want to give away, but there's more. Uh, there's more to the story as well. But, you know, as a teenager getting into my 20s and adulthood, you know, I had to deal with the past and try to come to terms with, you know, some very destabilizing things yeah. that had happened to me at a very young age. And so I worked through that personally. I worked through that by uh, talking to trusted people. I went and got help, you know, through therapy. And so, and of course, my brother and I, you know, for the lack of a better word, became quite successful in our careers and, and just made our way in the world with a lot of perseverance and resilience. And, but, and so him and I, you know, be it at a cottage or on vacation, we would talk about our story and go, can you, can you imagine what people would think if we told our story and said, maybe one day we should write a book, right? And so we've been talking about this for decades. And I and really, you know, the global reckoning on race really was the trigger to revisit that idea. And really, uh, and I ended up doing something about it. What's the reaction been since the book came out? It's been amazing, really. You know, everything from, wow, it's amazing that you're not a drug addict you know, living on the side of the road, considering what happened to you. And, and as I know, it's, you know, you know, as I share in the book, I made a decision when I was quite young that I was not going to be a victim of my past and I was going to be the person I wanted to be in the future, uh, which I think I created. And, uh, but a lot of people are, are very, uh, they love that story of resilience and perseverance. Of course, a lot of people are saying, Stephen, I didn't know anything about the history of discrimination of black people and indigenous people and people of color in this in, in, in this country for centuries, you know, as I call it, the mythology of race in Canada, right? And uh, and then others are going, wow, I'm really learning a lot about systemic racism and you've done so much research and it's really having an impact. And funny enough, I got, uh, I got an email this week from a friend of, a really good friend of mine who's now the head, the leader of a, a company or a CEO, and he had a meeting and someone said something racist at this meeting and he called them on it at the meeting in front of people. And, you know, and in my book, I say, if you hear something or you see something that's not right, you have to do or say something. And he did. Um, you're a great writer and you're a great speaker, great interview. I mean, I interviewed you back in, in February and I'm happy to do it again right now. So uh, have you in the past or are you now making yourself available as a motivational speaker? Because I think that your story could help a lot of people. And not only that educate a lot of people even in the school systems 
Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, I've worked on it for a long time. You know, I was I'm a professional marketing brand strategist and communicator. So I've been, you know, that's I've honed my skills over almost three decades now. I, I started writing really seriously, like in terms of editorials and stuff about five, six years ago. So, uh, but yes, I, I have actually done speaking already. So I just, uh, just on, on uh, was it Friday? I had to, I did a, a presentation at 2.30 in the morning to a company in Germany. Wow. So for their diversity conference, so 150 people from 12 yeah. countries. I did a, a great speaking engagement with an advertising agency here in Toronto uh, in April that went, that was amazing in person, which was great. I speaking at uh, Fold, the uh, Festival of Literary Diversity, uh, the Congress of Academics. Uh, so, I, so I'm doing a lot of that. And uh and I think one of the great things I'm liking about it is people are seem to be very receptive to the message and I'm challenging them, right? I'm challenging them to, as I say in the book, to be better and to do better. And uh, so I'm getting, I, it feels really great and I'm great. I'm really happy that it's resonating and that people are, are learning from it. I'm glad I asked you that question because my day job is uh, I work as a head of uh, marketing and communications at the English Montreal School Board. And we just did a major diversity campaign this winter. So definitely, uh, Thinking about it in the back of my head, bring Stephen Dorsey to speak or have him do it virtually. Yeah. So much so easy right now. Um, so you have you have kids. Um, did they know about this whole backstory before? Did they have they read the book? What how did that all? No. Happen? So my children, my son is almost six, and my daughter is ten. Okay, uh, they're little. Yeah. So they're they're proud. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm late to fatherhood. Okay. Uh, uh, but, uh, they're proud. They know that I wrote a book. They know that it's my, my story and no, I have not shared it with them, uh, yet. So my daughter will probably be the first, but you know, there's some tough stories about their grandmother. Yes. Uh, there's some tough stories about being a young kid that I don't think they're ready to hear that, yeah. you know, and I don't want to tell them that it's not, you know, they're so, and also very interesting, you know, is, uh, my ex-wife is, is a white, uh, woman. Actually, she's, partially brown because her mother is Jamaican, uh, mixed Jamaican. Okay. And her father was British. So she looks blonde and white. And my kids essentially look white kids. So, okay. uh, but their father is, you know, a black man. And so it's kind right. of interesting, uh, but how they've come to, to understand what that means. Of course, they, they see no difference themselves, but yeah, uh, just the little questions that they ask. So it's going to be a whole different thing for them. Yes. Right. But it is a book. So whenever they're ready, they'll be able to read it. It might be five, 10 years from now. Who knows? Exactly. I think my daughter will be ready to read it probably when she's 14, 15. Yeah, because, you know, I see at our elementary schools, I mean, Black Lives Matter and, you know, the whole diversity campaign. Young kids are very sensitized because they they're exposed to it on TV and on the Internet. It's not like when we were young, we didn't see as much as yes. they do right now so no, it, it exactly took, and and also for them they, they they don't really like they don't even give it a second thought right it's not like they're they're you know i think the bigger problems in the schools for young people is still bullying it's not you know oh that person's black or that person you know yes at my daughter's at my kid's school like there's transgender uh there's kids that are dressed whichever way they want yes and there's bathrooms for whoever and yeah everyone everyone's very open and yeah i mean there's 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 a degree of acceptance and that's part of diversity exactly uh, and exactly. diversity is not just you know one two three items it's a lot of stuff but exactly. but yeah correct so 
you you live in Toronto, but you of course are make you know you are from Quebec and you you lived in different parts of the country. Uh, but um, in the book, I'm glad to see you speak out about certain things. So first off, Bill 21. Your thoughts about Bill 21? Terrible. Uh, uh, um, it's it's anti. It's well, we know that the, if it was not for the non-withstanding clause, it would be it was stricken down because it. Uh, it really impedes on people, on Canadians, uh, minority rights as protected under the charter. So, uh, and let's face it, it's a, it's a law that was passed looking for a problem, right? There's yeah. no other, there's no other law like that. Okay, it's not necessary. It was modeled after, as we know, uh, the laws in France, but that country is a mess when it comes to race relations and integration of, uh, excuse me. <coughs> oh, Bless excuse, you. Excuse me. You sneezed on the truth. <laughs> it was coming from a long time. <laughs> right. So yeah, so I mean, what more can I say? I, I call it, it should be struck down. I think all Canadians, I think Canadian leaders, I think le government leaders in Quebec should be going to court and it should be struck down. And as, as you know, as I say in, in my book, I think we have a problem with the non-withstanding clause in the charter. It should be eliminated, maybe replaced by other mechanisms, but it's been abused by not only the, the Quebec government, but also here in Ontario and others who have tried to to use that uh, exemption, if you will, to uh, pass on constitutional laws. And, and, I, and I, as I say in my book, either we're, we, we're all equal, we can't be more equal than others, right? Uh, unfortunately, uh, Stephen, for you, in your former writing, uh, Bertrand in, in Longay, uh, there was a by-election in, in the winter and uh, the winner was the, someone from CAQ, actually a woman of color, who was a nurse is a nurse and she won the riding. And so, you know, you know, the, the, the parties, I feel the parties, uh, the liberals and the others are, are just, they're kind of letting the CAQ off the hook. Bill 21 to me should be a central election issue. It should be something that, that uh, the government should be on the defense of, and they're not. Well, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I think there's a bigger problem going on. And we know also bill 96, it, you know, is another issue, but I think there's a bigger problem, that, and I and I detail it in my book. There's this fait accompli, if you will, that the uh, you know it's funny because in my book I talk about you know white advantage and white supremacy, which is where for centuries you know the laws of Canada and before it was Canada, but the society of Canada and the systems and institutions were created by white men to advantage white people and to benefit white people to the exclusion and to the disadvantage of people of color, black people and indigenous people. So we talk about, it. that's what we're talking about when we talk about systemic racism, the need to reform the systems and institution so that everyone is treated the same. Now, when we talk about Quebec, we have the same problem. For some reason, the governments, not just this one, but subsequent and of all, of all stripes have agreed or come to this conclusion that the French Canadian culture and heritage should be superior to anything else based on the boundaries of a province. And I think that that's fundamentally wrong, right? So I go back to the source is, is French is an official language of Canada. It should be promoted, supported, enhanced, not just in Quebec, but everywhere in Canada. We need to do much more of that. We started in the 70s, much more needs to happen. But you can't ask for 
your rights by limiting the rights of others. It doesn't matter if it's regards religion, language, culture, or heritage. That's all I have to say about that. You know, it's too bad you live in Toronto because you would be a fantastic, as a French Canadian, you'd be a fantastic candidate uh, for the Liberals or one of the two new Anglo rights parties in Quebec. But, uh, but that won't happen. But hopefully uh, some of them will, will listen to your, your words of wisdom. Now, Bill 96, uh, you touched upon it. Your thoughts on Bill 96, the language law. Well, I think it's the same thing. I think you're, you're limiting the constitutional rights of a minority to advantage uh, just one segment of the citizenry. It's wrong, right? So if, you know, it's always this thing I, I hear, it's the protection of the French language. No one is attacking the French language yeah. anywhere. No one is attacking it. There's no, it's not a protection. Are we talking about we need to integrate French more uh, mm -hmm. equally, more fully across this whole country? The answer is yes. But you don't do that by limiting other people's constitutional rights. It's wrong. And the only reason they're getting away with it, well, actually not the only, one of the reasons is that we have the Charter of Rights and Freedom in the Canadian Constitution that needs to be uh, altered to take out the non-withstanding clause. And laws in this country need to be passed on the merits that they abide by the Charter of Rights, which has in it, as you know, the protection of minority rights for language and all religion and all other things. So the French language is actually protected under the constitution across this country. And now we have one province who's acting like they're some kind of sovereign country trying to limit the rights of Canadians living in that province. I think it's completely wrong. And as you know, one of the most outrageous things that are in Bill 96 is the ability of, you know, here we go again, the language police to go into any business, grab computers, documents, emails, whatever they want without a warrant. What, what kind, when, when did, I've never heard of this happen in Canada. Well, they're getting what they want. One of my neighbors in Cote St. Luke lives just a few doors down from me, put his house up for sale last week and he's heading to Ottawa. He said, Bill 96 was the final uh, nail in the coffin and that's just what they want so that's really sad so let me ask you to conclude um, you talk a lot about the state of racism in the world and uh, without giving too much away uh, where are we at right now in terms of racism in society uh, compared to decades ago well I, I think in terms of uh, let's face it we've had this global reckoning over since 2020 has been has been great because it's really uh, built this broader awareness, right? Uh, the uh, discovery of the unmarked graves brought back to the forefront all the issues of residential schools, which still many people didn't even know anything about, right? So I think, I think we're in a much better place in regards to broader awareness amongst the citizens of Canada uh, in regards to the real issues of systemic racism. But I, you know, I think we might, I might have said that last time, but I think we're at the end of the beginning Right, we have a lot of heavy lifting to do. The doing is where we need to get the reforms of the systems, the reforms of the institutions. Some work's happening in corporations and things like that, but we have a lot of work to do. And I think, and as my book says, we have to all come together to do it together so that we can get to that better place and a more equal and just society for all Canadians. Well, congratulations on a great book. I'm gonna, uh, I'm donating my copy to the library so people could uh, probably uh, request it and take it out once it's processed. So good luck and hopefully maybe down the line we'll have you speak at the library. We do have a speaker series, so uh, we'll be in touch, Stephen. Thanks again. Uh, 
thank you for for having me and and i'm happy to come and speak to uh people in quebec anytime great talking to stephen dorsey